0: listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining me again. Tonight's episode is going to be a little bit brief. I had a little bit of space left on my hosting site. And uh, as you know, when you have a podcast, you have to have a site that hosts the feed. And I'm allowed a certain amount each month. And uh, this month, I was kind of winding out towards the end. I had a few episodes that were a little bit on the long side. And I have a few more that are a little bit on on the longer side. I've actually got a couple of a couple of doozies coming up. So I wanted to give them the full attention that they need. So I thought that there would be really uh, a great way to make use of this little bit of time would be to do a quick recap in terms of some of the things that I picked up and uh, just some of the takeaways that I received from American Frog Day, which just happened this past weekend here in New York, Uh, took place just outside of New York City. And it was the first uh, American Frog Day back since COVID. I know last year's was canceled due to the COVID regulations. And uh, it was nice that uh, we were able to have uh, a function that was dedicated exclusively to frogs, especially in this area. And uh, for those of you who know me, you know I don't get out much. And this was a really a really incredible event. And I'm, I honestly couldn't have thought of any better way to have spent this past Saturday than uh, going to Frog Day. So I was definitely definitely uh, very, very happy with uh, with the way the day went. And uh, I picked up a couple of uh, interesting things along the way. I picked up some frogs, which I'll cover in a little bit, but uh, it was also really the guest speakers at the end that uh, brought some new ideas to my attention, some things that I'm going to work on incorporating into my husbandry practices. But why don't we just start off with the show itself. If you recall... Uh, a few episodes back, I had Julio Rodriguez. Julio's one of the organizers for American Frog Day here on the, the East Coast. And we talked a little bit about what to expect and what's going on. And uh, I just want to thank Julio right up front just for everything that he did to help put that show together. I know that he put in a tremendous amount of work. And uh, I think that he he and all the other promoters, everyone else that went along with that deserve a big thanks. So, uh, just from one person to another, I thank you and uh, thank all you guys for you know just putting on a great day for everyone. So, uh, yeah, the show started at about ten with an expo, which was uh, pretty cool because, I mean, at least at least here in, in the New York area, we were actually supposed to have an expo the next day, and there was another one that was up in White Plains. They, I haven't been to an expo in almost two years. And really just because of the COVID situation here. So it was really refreshing to be able to get to an expo, albeit on the small side. Um, imagine if you went to a reptile expo and you just kind of pulled all the frog people out and gave them their own room. And that's basically what this was. So it was it was pretty awesome. And uh, don't get me wrong, I like other stuff at expos and whatnot. But having a an, an expo that was just completely for frog people was really something special. And uh, I got to talk to all of the vendors. I got to speak with everyone about pretty much everything just you know the way the way they keep their frogs and what they had for sale and just you know just just kind of just talk and shop from one person to another, which was really nice and I find that in a lot of the larger expos you kind of don't get a chance to do that because there's just there's just too many people vendors have to you know they have to you know they do their stuff and, and it can be difficult to get into a long conversation with people especially when you have a lot of you know a lot of people moving around so uh, it was nice I, I liked the nice intimate venue and it was uh very personable you know i spoke to quite a few of the vendors for god 20 40 minutes at a time which was uh which was nice it was uh it was a real refreshing change from the way most of the bigger expos go and if you are a dart frog person or a frog person whatsoever it, it was everything you could have wanted and more believe me they had microfauna, they had springtails isopods leaf litter and the the the, the plant situation was just a beyond description there was a lot of varieties of plants there even from bromeliads to aroids uh there was a couple that were auctioned off for charity at the end which was which was pretty cool i'll, I'll get to that in a little bit but all in all, it was just uh, really impressive. So if you ever get a chance to attend one in the future, even if you don't stick around for the rest of it, the uh, the vending portion of the expo was was really, really enjoyable. So I got a lot out of it. I also picked up a few new additions. I picked up um, three uh, orange Blackfoot uh, Terribilis. And I also picked up a albino uh, Pac-Man, a ceratophorus. I think it's a Cranwell-Eye or Cranwell-Eye. Um, because I hadn't had one of those in a while, I've got the arida, but the arida is a little bit finicky. So, uh, yeah, I broke down and went outside the dart frog box, so to speak. But I like all frogs, and um, if you weren't a hundred percent dart frog person, they did have a couple of other species there as well. Uh, there was uh there were some mossy frogs, or some Solomon Island leaf frogs. I didn't see a tremendous amount of tree frogs. There was a couple of glass frogs floating around here and there, and uh, some other odds and ends. It might have been a few geckos and whatnot, but. All in all, you had a really nice choice. It was uh, kind of like a frog buffet, <laughs> if you will. You could kind of go up and uh, just look at whatever you wanted. And and a lot of people left with some some pretty full bags. So it was definitely a good day in terms of an expo. So uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to check one out in the future, check it out. The last one I had been to was in 2017. And this was uh, not about the same size but, um, again, it's just, it's, it's almost all dark frog stuff. So if that's your, if that's your bag, then you, you don't miss it in the future. So moving on from the expo part in the afternoon, there was a charity auction, which was pretty cool. The vendors donated different, different, uh, items. There was some, uh, some vivariums. I know, uh, in situ, he, uh, he, uh, donated a vivarium. I think ExoTerra did, uh, they, they donated too, and a lot of the vendors they donated uh different plants there was a couple of aeroids that were uh, auctioned off and um there were a couple of there were a couple of pairs of frogs there was a sexed uh, pair of Zurius, there was i think it was a tr- I think it was a trio or two trios might have been a raratus and a couple of other little odds and ends in there but it was it was it was pretty cool uh got into a bidding war with a couple of people but uh I had to back off at the end because I yeah spent a decent amount on frogs, but it was all in good fun, and it's nice to see that that money went to uh, went to charity. Again, all the uh, proceeds from an event like that, from the uh, from the auction, et cetera, goes to frog preservation in one form or another, which is a great way for the hobby to give back. And I, I feel like if we're going to be engaged in this hobby, we we have to make a return on our investment, so to speak. We have to kind of give a little bit back in exchange for what we've got. And what we've got is, honestly, it's a pretty good thing. So that was the, uh, that was the auction. And then after the auction, we took a little bit of a break for a while. I had a chance to kind of, you know, just sort of BS with some people. There was quite a few people there who I've had on the show in the past. And, um, I'm not going to name everybody, but, um, Troy, (laughs) uh, yeah, Troy and I hung out for a while. Uh, I got to hang out with Julio for a while, and uh, there, there, was a couple, there was a couple other people there who were um, not on the show, but people who I kind of talked to here and there off air, and that uh, was a pretty cool experience. Just Even just talking to some of the vendors was, was pretty amazing, just hearing some people's insights. And um, yeah, so we kind of bs for a little bit, and one of the more, and this is just kind of more on a, on a personal note, but um, one of the really more enjoyable parts of the day was actually getting to interact with a few listeners Uh, a few of you guys were at the show and it was uh it was a very rewarding experience to have people come up to me and uh, say hello and uh, i was very happy to talk to people and you know look i'm a regular guy i'm just same as you i'm just a regular guy (laughs) but it was uh it was a very fulfilling experience to have a couple of people come up to me and um, I'd, I'd love to give you guys all shout outs on the show. It's just there was, there was, there was, there was quite a few people. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I, I thank all of you out there for that. It made, uh, makes the podcast worthwhile to see that, um, you know, you have that kind of an impact on people and that they appreciate it. So I, I appreciate the fact that you guys appreciate me. So that was fun. That was definitely enjoyable. And then really the, the key takeaways for me were the, uh, the, the speakers during the dinner. There was a dinner after the after the uh auction and after the break and uh, it, was, it was a pretty good dinner actually too the host, the uh, hospital <laughs> the hotel was a pretty nice place up there and up there in Westchester and I felt kind of odd walking around with a bag of like you know frogs and, uh, and and java moss while there's these people in like wedding uh wedding dresses and stuff like that I guess they had some sort of a wedding reception or a bridal party or something like that going on there but so it was kind of a little I kind of felt a little <laughs> out of sorts but it was a beautiful hotel. So at the dinner, we had uh, a few key speakers who were kind enough to just do the thing. And uh, I know a couple of people got moved around. Unfortunately, I didn't get to stay for the whole thing. I, I had to duck out around nine o'clock before the last speaker, and I, I felt bad. But uh, I, I, you know, as all you guys know, it was getting kind of a little bit late my <laughs> a little bit late for me. So it was kind of past my bedtime. But um, what I was able to take away from it is and I'm I'm just going to kind of uh, again I I the people who came on were were absolutely incredible individuals and I I wouldn't even try to remotely even scratch the surface with uh with with what they said I I wouldn't be able to do it justice I uh I would love it if everybody out there would have been able to have have heard these lectures because they were extremely insightful and extremely informative and uh, some of them were very, very heartfelt. So, just to paraphrase uh, again as, as best as I can, just to give you guys kind of the gist of of, of what uh, what went down. Um, the first lecture was about uh, tintorius in the wild, in in being studied uh, in Brazil. And uh, one of the things that was key in that video was that the tintorius that we see in the wild. Are very very different from what we see in our own collections. They are generally much larger, more robust, and have a great deal more vibrance in their coloration. Uh, they did talk about a little bit in terms of geographic isolation and things like that. There were some spots where uh, certain populations of tinctores were absent, and then the you know the, the range is a lot broader than what we had thought. But in terms of the hobby. What I took away the most was, well, how do we, how do we match whatever's in the wild in captivity? How, how do we get our captive frogs to look and behave and breed and reproduce? How do we get them to, to act and all that in the same way that their, their wild counterparts do? And one of the theories was, or I really shouldn't say theories because this was a pretty extensive study, but uh, the importance that diet plays. Now, let, let's think for a moment about our staples in the captive hobby we have fruit flies are generally the standard feeder they're inexpensive the media is generally easily made and um supplementation obviously is is another thing as well whether you incorporate uv lighting or not is is it it's debatable but by the end of the lecture the the key points were that our dietary procedures our 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 diet our supplementation etc may need to be tweaked somewhat if we want our frogs to develop and resemble the their wild chiroports so one of the arguments that was made was that when we feed when we feed our fruit flies off of a culture we generally we seed a culture that's that's fresh all the the media is 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 fresh it hasn't been eaten by maggots yet Uh, The flies lay their eggs, the maggots kind of consume the lion's share of the nutrients that they obviously need to metamorphose into adult flies. Uh, They develop into adult flies, and then by the time we have a culture that's booming, we we feed that off. The issue in this presentation was that, well, by that time, a lot of those nutrients in the culture have been depleted, so we may possibly be feeding flies that are not as nutritionally complete uh, as they would otherwise. So the possibility is well what if we take those freshly uh morphed out flies and we put them into a second culture to sort of I hate to use the term gut load but uh let's just say to to, to load them up with as much nutrients as possible. So I I gave it some thought and I'm going to be trying a couple of new things with my feeding regimen. I want to see if it if it works out. I don't really want to get too into it yet um, and again it's nothing it's nothing secretive. It's just kind of me tweaking around Uh, what i want to feed my flies and how i want to prep them before i i feed them to the frogs so that's one thing and it's definitely something to think about uh how are we how are we feeding them how you know what are we doing how do we duplicate a wild diet better than we are now in terms of adequate supplementation so that's another a whole a whole amazing lecture and again i i really i'm only just taking a couple of minor points out of it but um If you could have seen some of these wild tanks, they were absolutely, absolutely incredible in just the terms of their vibrance and their size and whatnot, it was just absolutely incredible. And even places where they were found. So uh, some of these tanks were found in places that were actually extremely dry, extremely dry sections of the rainforest. So uh, that's another thing to consider. And uh, a lot of people tend to think that wild frogs are generally leaner and that our captive bred frogs are too fat. Well, I can, show, I can I can, assure you that's not the case because I did not see one skinny frog in this video at all. So uh, if we have skinny frogs, that may be a function of our captive care. That's something we have to explore for the future. So that was that. And then moving on uh, to the second uh, lecture, which was Ivan from Tesoros. If you're not aware of who Tesoros is, it's, it's a long story. And again, I wish I had time. Uh, Julio and I had discussed it in the past. I would really love an opportunity to have Ivan on the show, but I know he's a he's a he's a very busy guy um, Tesoros essentially does s- several things they are responsible for the captive breeding and legal exportation of several species of dart frog uh and now there are some newer species in the works from Colombia. And as many of you know, if you're if you're involved with importing and whatnot, it is a very very long and involved process to be able to get permits and permission and all that stuff. So that's only a small part of what Tesoros does. And at the same time, they also work towards establishing local populations uh, of of breeding pairs and whatnot to reestablish into into populations that are in danger or in, or in need, which is more complicated than i can just sum up here but uh just to again i i i really can't even do it justice because ivan's uh, speech was was it, it was absolutely it was amazing it was absolutely incredible and the amount of effort that it's taken to soros to get to where they are today has taken literal decades so i really if if, if i mean i really hope that there is a uh a video of his speech out there somewhere but um it was uh, it was amazing so when you support organizations like testoros you're you're supporting the hobby and you're also supporting preservation because legal exportation it it takes the pressure away from smuggling which we all know it happens whether we've had direct or indirect or no you know no involvement with it whatsoever uh yeah it happens and there was some statistics that were cited in terms of just for example the amount of Ufaga lamani uh, which was, I think, it was like a hundred thousand Ufagalamani were illegally smuggled out of uh, out of that area in the past two decades, and meanwhile, there's very, very few left. So, do the math. Legal, responsible farming is obviously the way to go, and I think that um, Tesoros is really doing an incredible thing down there by taking the pressure away from native populations by creating captive, sustainable ones that can satisfy the market. And as well as bio you know uh, what do they call it biocommerce, so going on eco tours, you know a great a great way if you want listen, if you want to go down and see a rainforest, the best way to to support the rainforest is to go down there and and get involved and, and pay for a tour. If the need is there, then hopefully the rainforest will stay there. but um again, it was a it was a very passionate speech, and um it was uh it was an eye-opener the extent to which uh, Ivan and his team have really dedicated their whole lives to the preservation of, of these frogs is uh, it's, it's, it's extremely admirable. And if you have uh, if you have a few minutes, go investigate to Soros. Uh, I know they don't have too much of a, of a p- public presence to my knowledge, but um, it's definitely an organization that could very well use your support. And um, it's a, uh, important part of the dark frog hobby as i said earlier is is supporting initiatives like that because people like that essentially w- we can't exist without them and they can't exist without us so i think it's a partnership that everyone should be involved in so that was uh that was that and uh the the third lecture and again i i, I apologize i wish i could have given a full report but um uh, i think it was it was uh eduardo griffith of evac and evac has a, a whole host of programs uh i believe it's out of panama uh for preserving the golden frog and a whole other list of of initiatives and um again i i don't want to comment too much on it because like i said i i unfortunately had to uh i had to go home before that part of the lecture but all in all what did i take away from this you know if if we if we forget the vending and and all that other stuff, the one thing that I really did appreciate was the sense of, of camaraderie within this hobby and within this uh, really a lifestyle, if you think about it, because a lot of these people, myself included, spend a tremendous amount of time dealing with this, th- this whole thing. I do the podcast. There's people that do import-export. There's people that breed. There's people that sell plants. And seeing people from all different walks of life and and I mean all different walks of life, was a, uh, a very very rewarding experience that uh, so many people from so many different lifestyles and so many different backgrounds are passionate about the same thing. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all sat down and all we talked about was frogs and how great frogs are and how we want to make our lives better through frogs and how we want to make frogs' lives better. So... Uh the sense of camaraderie is is uh is an incredible thing. And on a personal note, and again I don't really like to add too much of my personal stuff here, but uh this community has uh, has welcomed me and uh I appreciate that as well. And I'm happy to be part of it. I'm happy to be part of a community that gives back uh more than it uh, more than it receives. And I like to think that um initiatives like American Frog Day will continue to benefit the hobby. And to raise awareness of the species that we really, really enjoy so much. And um, I think it's a great thing. And I'm glad I attended. And I can definitely recommend to anyone out there, if you're a serious dart frogger, you, you have to go to one of these things. And if, you, if you're not able to, again, find out who's doing the lecture. And maybe you can get a transcript or something like that. I'm not quite sure uh, if that's even a possibility. But look, get involved. You know, Find a way to support the hobby that supports you so much. And that's all I can say, I guess. So to finalize and to sum the whole thing up, uh it was a great day. It was a great experience. There was a lot of people involved and I was uh, very happy that I could attend. So in any event moving forward, I have some pretty cool stuff coming up for the future. I've got some varied content coming up. We're going to kind of go outside the glass box again uh, to talk about some other species and um we're also going to talk about some other stuff that's going to be kind of interesting. I've got some uh content coming up in terms of uh, you know just how to improve vendor and uh, customer relations and stuff like that so keep your uh, well i shouldn't say keep your eyes peeled uh keep your ears tuned i guess <laughs> i don't know i try to pretend i'm a professional sometimes but all right in any event i hope you guys enjoyed this and uh good stuff coming up catch up with you again soon